0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Church in Savannah. We are an Episcopal congregation in the Diocese of Georgia. And you can find out more about us by visiting www.stmichaelsavannah.com. Also, I have to tell you that uh, I believe that every priest that I know harbors this secret fantasy of being able to respond to people who ask them questions in the same way that Jesus does today. We long for that moment when we will have that perfect comeback where the people will not be able to give us any answer, nor will they ever dare to ask us another question. (laughs) As far as I'm aware, it's never happened, Uh, but hope springs eternal. Um, uh, today, we, we hear Jesus in an encounter with th- those poor Pharisees. Um, somebody's got to be on the wrong side and ask Jesus the questions. And it, it, it always seems to be the Pharisees. They, they really weren't all bad people. Don't, don't think that they were. Um, but they, they come at him and, and um, they think they've got him. Once again, they think they've got him. Teacher, they start buttering him up. Teacher. Um, Tell us, which of the commandments do you think is the greatest? Now, remember, there are over 600 commandments in the law. And so on the spot, Jesus is supposed to tell them which one is the greatest and most important. And you can see it's one where there's no good answer he can give, really. Because whatever he says, then they're going to say, oh, well, what about this one? And are you saying that this is less important? But Jesus in his sort of usual fashion doesn't really answer the question that they ask. They ask him for the greatest commandment, which one, and he gives them two. It says the two go together. And on these two hang all the rest of the law and all the prophets. So uh, Jesus connects our, our responsibility, our obligation uh, to love God with all our heart and soul and bond and strength with the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. <clears throat> and by doing that, what Jesus is really saying is that you can't do one without doing the other. We cannot love God without loving our neighbor. But we also can't love our neighbor if we don't first love God. And I'll tell you, most of the sermons I think I've heard preached on this passage, and to be quite honest with you, probably most of the ones that I have preached on this passage, they're always about the second one of those commandments. How we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, And we should. But here's what I... That was kind of the course I was going to take... um, Uh, this week, I was going to work out in my head this long list of ways in which you all ought to love one another better than you already do. And then I thought, well, they already know all that. We know what we should do. We know we should love one another even when they are not loving back to us. That's when it's the most difficult. That's The only time it's a commandment that we have to follow. If they're nice to us, it's easy to love them. We don't have to be told to do it. And we know what that means. To be kind and compassionate and generous. To think of others before we think about... We know all that stuff already. But then I got to wondering, why is it that we tend to talk about the second part of that commandment instead of the first? So that's the part that I want want us to think about today is the first and greatest commandment. What does it mean for us to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our mind? I mean, we're all in church today, so I assume that means that we all believe in God and we all believe in Jesus. But there's a difference between believing in and loving with everything that we have and everything that we are. And that's the part that I want us to look at. So why, why, is this, why, why should we love God in the first place? Why should we love God above all else? Well, he because he loved us first. That's it exactly. That is the simplest, most clear answer. And it's scriptural, right? From 1 John. We love because God first loved us. Period. That's where we start. And if I were to ask the follow-up question, what is the greatest way in which God has demonstrated that love for us? As Christians, we would all say, exactly, the gift of his son, Jesus, who died for us, who died and rose again so that we may be raised with him and live the life that Jesus leads, right? The gift of of life eternal that's it that's the gift though for the whole world for all time for all creation but what I also we should start there but I also want to look at what about us as individuals I mean I get that we we start with Jesus but what are the other reasons that that we love God and how do we show that and I, I, I want to suggest two things just two simple steps uh, that we can take to get us started on this path to uh, respond into the first commandment. You may have others, and if you do, I hope that you will tell me about them uh, at the end of the service. I asked the 8 o'clock congregation to do the same thing, because I said, look, I have to preach this sermon again at 1030, and if you've got better than I've got, I'm going to steal your answers and pass them off as my own. Nothing. I got nothing, nothing from him. Um, So you're just stuck with me today. All right. So I want to suggest that the first, one of the first and best ways that we start, not just by believing in God, but by showing God that we love him, is by doing what you're doing right now. Which is by going to church. I, I do realize that it seems a little self-serving for the priest of the church to tell you <laughs> you should go to church more But it's not. Okay, yes it is. It's a little self-serving. But that is um, secondary to the the primary purpose. Which is what else do we do in this space? Fellowship. In this space. Nothing. We don't do anything else but worship in here. It is set aside specifically for that. Which means the moment we walk in. We acknowledge this is what we are about. We come into this space to set aside this time on whatever day it is to focus our attention on God. And to try our best to leave behind all of those other things, those other thoughts and obligations and things that we need to do. All of those things that want part of us. When we come in here, we try to leave those at the door and turn our attention to God. Now, y'all may be a lot more holy than I am, but I'm going to tell you right out, I can't always do that. Um, For clergy, when when we're leading services, it it is not always easy for the time that we spend in here to be solely focused on the worship of God, but I try. But then other things creep in, like did, did, did the prayers of the people get printed out and did we get people's names right on them? Are the readers going to show up? And if they do, are they going to know the difference between prophecy and prophesy? These are the sorts of things, right, that creep into, into our heads while, while, while we're in church. And we're trying to, you know, do what we're here to do. And sometimes you just can't help it. That's why I try every week, at least once, to go to church somewhere else during the week. So that I simply can sit in the congregation and not have to worry about anything about the service but can focus my attention on God. Now maybe y'all don't do that. Maybe you're not sitting here uh, making your grocery list or worrying about uh, what I got to do this afternoon or how long is this sermon going to be but if you are just acknowledge that you are and then try to set that aside and especially when we come to the altar room for communion, when, when, when we hear that narrative of what Jesus did for us, if we take that time and simply, try, because this is really what prayer is, is turning our attention away from other things and towards God, to be aware of our Presence in the midst of God in this place. To be aware that the words that we say out loud, we're not saying to ourselves or one another, but we're saying them to God. And that when we come to the rail, we put out our hands and we receive that bread and when we sip from that cup, that we come into contact with the risen Christ in a way that we do not anywhere else And if we can draw our minds to him in that moment, that is a way that we love God with all that we are. Now that's how we can do this together when we come together as the body of Christ and say, this is the God that we believe in and this is what we believe that he has done for us. But there's a a much more personal way that we can go about this. And that's in the way that we say our prayers. Now, um, there, there are different forms of prayer. You'll probably have heard the, the, the lists of them before. But the one that I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is the one called adoration. And it's probably the one that we talk about the least and maybe the one that we do the least. Because it doesn't really feel like praying. You know, when I say my prayers, I have a long list of things that I need, I need God to take care of Right? Some of them are for me. This is what I want. This is what I need you to do. Please help me with this. But lots of them are for y'all, right? And for other people. I mean, people who have asked me to pray for them, people that I'm worried about, who need way more help than any of us can give them. It is our responsibility as members of the body to lift those burdens up to God. But that cannot be all that we do. If we do, then this relationship becomes really one-sided. And it's just us pestering God to do things that we want. That's fine. We can do that. But there, this other side, adoration, um, that's where we should start. And we kind of do it at the beginning of the service. The way the service starts, we sing a hymn of praise to God. And then we just say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be God's kingdom. That's really where we start. But if we do it on a more personal level, it has to do with looking at why do I love God? All I've got to do is start looking at the list of things that God has already done for me. All those things that I did not deserve. Many of those things that I didn't even know I needed to ask for. Mm-hmm. And yet God in his abundance gave them to me anyway. Prayer of adoration just starts with naming God for who he is. The God of all creation. The God who gives us life. Who gives us family. Who gives us health. The God who has done these things for me. Even before we start saying thank you for them, we just start by acknowledging that this is what God has done For us, it's the same way we would treat somebody that we are in love with. We would tell them the things about them that we love and enjoy, the reasons that we want to be around them. We can do that the same way with God. And then, if we're willing to be really honest with ourselves, we can look at those parts of ourselves that we're not so happy about. Those things that we did that we shouldn't have. Those things that we should have done that we didn't. And then remember that God has forgiven us for them. When we take those two things, the list of things that God has done for me. And the list of things for which God has already forgiven me. We put those together and we thank him for that. That is the beginning of true adoration. Of loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. Now I'll tell you what, if we will start with that and do that faithfully, something kind of strange and wonderful will happen. That practice of adoration and of thanksgiving to God for what God has done for us will begin to change the way that we see not only ourselves, but also all those other people around us we will begin to see them and ourselves more and more in the way that God sees them and us. And when we can see one another the way that God does, then it is easy to love them as we love ourselves. So if we want to learn to love our neighbor, we just need to start by learning to love God with all our heart, With all our soul, with all our mind. Amen. Amen.